0: Learn about Jesus. Read some books. All right. For the rest of us. Did you say I didn't mean to punch your baby? We need to uh, start a deliverance ministry, I think. Oh. I'm just kidding. Okay, so turn your Bibles to the book of 1 John. We are back in our sermon series, The Darkness and the Light. John wrote a letter to the churches and he used this metaphor of darkness and light to describe Jesus in us as we are in the world. Um, It would be really great, wouldn't it, if we got saved and then we got to be taken from this world and all of its pain and all of its sadness and all of its disappointments. I mean, it'd be great but that's not what God has ordained. He has ordained for us to become this light in a dark place. And John speaks of how this great light has now shown uh, in the Gospel of John. uh, It it speaks of uh, of prophecy of the Old Testament, how a great light has shown to the Gentiles, that's us, that we were once far away, but now we've been drawn close by the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, And so today, I'm gonna propose a question. I'm gonna give you two verses and I'm hoping to make your heads explode. I did the same thing on Wednesday nights or this last Wednesday night um, and we'll get to that in a moment. I don't want to go too far ahead. But let me share with you a really fun story. Anybody ever heard of the restaurant In-N-Out? Yeah, yeah Sam's from California like I am and so we know uh, the glory that is In-N-Out. Now let me describe to you In-N-Out. In-N-Out uh, You know how they say West Virginia is almost heaven? No, it's In-N-Out. In-N-Out is almost heaven. If Chick-fil-A is the official chicken uh, sandwich place of heaven, then In-N-Out is your burger place. Classic 50s style uh, restaurant where you go in, everything's red and white, uh, and they serve like five different menu items. Uh, a, a burger that you can add as many patties to, fries, milkshakes, sodas. That's all they got. Not too fancy, There's nothing's gourmet or nothing like that, but it is the best burger you will ever eat. And I miss it because they're only in California. I think there's one in Texas and maybe one in Arizona. They don't. They only have their restaurants so far away from the distribution centers because their meat's never frozen. So they just have a few in California and a couple in the middle of the country and then that's it. And the rest of us just never get to know. We're going to visit California in July and I'm really looking forward to getting me an a In-N-Out burger. And, uh, and the reason why I bring that up is because when I lived in California, I kind of didn't I didn't appreciate it. Thank you, Wally. I didn't appreciate it. Uh, and, and where I lived in and out was across the street from like different fast food joints. And sometimes we'd go there and we'd eat and that, look across the street and see In and Out and go, why didn't we go there? Why do we waste our time here? It's not even, it, this place is even more expensive and the food's not as good. Why didn't we go there? We're going there next time. And then next time rolls around and you forget again. And, and now that I've moved to California, I realized how, o- or excuse me, moved to New York, I realized how often I settled for something inferior, whether it was through ignorance, just being kind of lackadaisical, not really really thinking too much, just wanting to get food, not being in proximity to it. So it was kind of like out of sight, out of mind. But I tell you, I think about it often now. Like, oh man, just an In-N-Out burger would be great. Animal style fries would just be really good right now. I share that with you because maybe there's something like that in your life. Maybe there's a place you grew up or something you had as a kid that no longer exists. And you're like, man, I wasted so much time settling for inferior things rather than the best of things. And I wanna use that uh, as a springboard to leap, off, uh, to leap off of to share with you the verse that we're gonna explore today. Verse 15 in chapter two of First John says this, do not love the world or the things in the world Uh, except for in and out If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Lord, your word is good. And, you know, forgive me for all those jokes about in and out It's, Nothing compared to your word and to who you are. I pray today, Lord, that your word would be paramount. It'd be the pinnacle of everything we see. It would be the focal point through uh, through which we are redeemed and saved and enlightened and awakened and opened and, and all those words that really just mean that we get it. And we get it because you have brought it to us and made us aware of it. May you be glorified today in Jesus' name, amen. So John says, do not love the world. But doesn't that sound very uh, similar almost to another very famous verse within the church and within the world? John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world. Sometimes people who are anti-Christian or anti-church or anti-religion will say things like, oh, well, the, the Bible contradicts itself. That's why I can't believe it. And if you've ever asked them, you know, press them just a little bit, like, what do you mean? You normally don't get an answer because that's just what they've heard from somebody that they've heard it from, that's somebody that they've heard it from. They've heard it on Fox News, or they've heard it on CNN, or they've heard Bill Mahar say it, or they heard somebody say it, and so they think it's something plausible. It gives them a little more ammo. It makes them feel less guilty about their sin and unrepentance. But if you ask them, there generally is no answer. And so I think that people who have had this sort of mentality come to verses like this and think that. Well, God's saying in one, you know, Jesus is saying in John, the same book, you know, that was written down by the same John, that God's will love the world, but, but we're not to love the world. It seems to be two contradictory statements or two, uh, two uh, you know, sides or two, like the polar opposites. Um, the, the, they would bounce off each other like a magnet trying to put the same sides together and they just bounce off each other. So how, how do we make this work? Number one, we don't make this work. No, the word of God is like this great you know, sweater that's been knit together and at first it looks like nothing and you put it all together then you start seeing how Jesus is glorified in everything. You start seeing Jesus here. You see Jesus in the book of Esther. You see Jesus in the book of Job. You see him in the gospels. You see him in the letters that Paul wrote. You see him in Revelation. You see him in Genesis. You see him all over the place because he starts popping up as you begin to recognize him. But how, how does the Bible itself explain these two seemingly uh, deflective or, or, or statements that just bounce off each other? God loves the world, but we're not supposed to love the world. Does that mean that he only gets to love the world and we don't? Well, that doesn't make any sense. How are we ever going to spread the gospel if we don't love somebody? How, and when it says not to love the world, what about our family? What about our friends? What about the workplace and our clubs and where we go and who we hang out with? Why does God get to love the world? And we're supposed to be more like Christ, but not like this? Or has these two verses just honestly contradict one another, disproving the the validity of the Bible. This is where we as Christians must be students of the word. It's one of my favorite phrases. We cannot simply read the Bible as a novel or as a historical piece, although there are elements of both. We must read the word as though it's a professor teaching us something. And we have to come in the mindset of a student, inquisitive, asking, not settling for uh, just pious answers. Sometimes we settle for a verse on a t-shirt rather than going into the word and finding out what it says. In John chapter uh, 3, John 3.16 specifically, it says, for God's so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We need to find within these two verses the context of what's happening. We just went over this last, uh, on Palm Sunday, about, or excuse me, was it Good Friday, Palm Sunday? I can't remember, it's been a busy couple of weeks. We talked about Nicodemus coming to, to Jesus in the middle of the night, uh, this clandestine meeting of trying to find out more about uh, inheriting the kingdom of God and how Jesus uh, just flat out said, if you're not born again, uh, you'll never see the kingdom of God. That is the context in which Jesus says, God so loved the world. He's preaching to, or teaching rather, Nicodemus, how this all works. Meaning you were born dead in your sins. You must be born again so that you might inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot see the kingdom of God without being born again. There's, there's no one who will go to heaven to be with the Lord in his kingdom who will not be born again. There will be no free pass. There will be no wink of the eye. Come on in. Everything's fine. That sort of thing. Any person who is left out of heaven will be left out because of the rejection of Jesus Christ, not being born again. And so to just leave Nicodemus there would fill him with a lot of hopelessness. Like, well, I got to be born again, but I don't know how to be born again. And that's what he says to Jesus. What, is, what does that even mean, being born again? So Jesus begins to explain what that means. And it culminates with, with it, the, the possibility of it happening because God loved the world so much that he gave his only son to die on our behalf so that we wouldn't be condemned, but rather that we'd be liberated and set free from sin, Satan, and death, that we'd be reunited with him. We'd be made brand new. And so in the context of the Gospel of John, Jesus, who's speaking to Nicodemus, is saying, look, you're dead in your sins, but you can be made alive in Christ by being born again. You can be born again because of what God the Father has done through God the Son. Now, bring that back to 1 John, where first John says, do not love the world. If we stop there, we think contradiction. But if you keep going, or the things of this world, if anyone loves the world, and now John is going to, in just a moment, define what that means. Uh, the love of the Father is not in him for all that is in this world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. This is not the same world, although it's the same word that uh, Jesus is using and John is doing. The world that Jesus is speaking of is different than what uh, John is speaking of. John is speaking of the ways of the world. Jesus is speaking of the people of the world. And so for us as Christians, we must have a love for the world that we go out and we preach the gospel, that we don't hold ourselves up in a bunker somewhere waiting for the rapture to happen, that we go out to places that are scary to us. uh, They don't meet any kind of moral standards that we have. We go out, we exist in those places without being of those places. It's a very, it's a tightrope. It's really hard to do that and to not get immersed in it. So we do so deliberately and we do so uh, with prayer and we do so with the Holy Spirit. We do so uh, not individually as rogues. We hopefully do it together uh, with the church, but we go out and we love the people of the world. I spoke about the parades and stuff we wanna be involved in. Those are of the world, but we're gonna go in them and we're gonna share the light of Jesus Christ, hoping that the dark place where people are, where there is no light of Christ, that we will bring it with us. And so there must be this love within us for people. It doesn't mean mean we approve of everything they do. Actually, it'll probably be the opposite. We'll disapprove of what they do. We'll see it as counter-biblical and we'll want to write them off. We'll want to say, no, they're not worthy or no, we shouldn't go to them. They're too dirty or too unclean. This is what the Pharisees thought about us Gentiles and this is why the light has now shown to us in a dark place. We were unclean, but now we've been made clean by Jesus. And so what John is telling us is look, there's a way that the world operates. This is what we are to abstain from. Think about, and I've read this, and I've seen this time and time again from from therapists and doctors and counselors and radio shows and TV programs and books prescribing to couples who who are having trouble with intimacy to watch pornography together that it helps with the relationship and blah, 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 they have the reasons. And for us as Christians, we look at that and go, no, you're introducing deep spiritual bondage into your relationship by opening that door into one of the most intimate places on this earth for you and your wife or for you and your husband. And so the world would say, that's an okay thing. And we would say, no, that's ridiculous. The world would say things like, well, you're addicted to smoking. Uh, stop smoking by eating a lot. You know, and if any of you have ever struggled with smoking, you know, you usually go to some other vice really quickly to curb those, you know, that, that sort of rage of withdrawal. And many folks who quit smoking become overweight because they found this more socially acceptable substitute for their habit or maybe for drinking or maybe for drugs or whatever. And the world would say, that's okay. And we would say, no, no, the the problem is not the substance per se. The problem is the nature of the person. The problem is the heart of who they are. We understand that if we clean you up on the outside, but you're still dirty on the inside, that doesn't change anything. You're like a whitewashed tomb, Jesus said. You look, you're a really good painted casket on the inside, dead bones, stinking up the place. And we don't want that. And Jesus doesn't want that. Jesus wants to come into your heart to change you from the inside out. There are so many ways and and ideologies and principles that the world approves of that are counter to the word of God. And and oftentimes, you know, we could point our finger at the world and say, how could you do that? They're not the problem. The problem is the church that adopts these ways. The Christian who says, you know what? I'm not supposed to lie, but I work at a job and if I don't lie, then the bottom line kind of suffers. No then the bottom line suffers. Well, I, I, I could get out of this if I just lied a little bit, so um, I'm gonna do that just to get out of this scenario or get out of this trouble. No. Well, you're not supposed to steal, but if I just, if I just take a little bit off the top, it's not a big deal. Nobody's hurt, you know, I'm putting a little extra coin in my pocket. You know, nobody's, su- no, that's stealing. Well, I'm not supposed to hate anybody, but that guy's really a jerk. And and that guy, you know, I'm pretty sure he doesn't pay his taxes. And I'm pretty sure that he steals my newspaper in the morning. And I'm pretty sure he does all these awful things. So I don't think Jesus is talking about him. And Jesus says, to hate your neighbor is the equivalent of murdering them. Just as bad. Just you just haven't carried it out yet. That murder physically starts off as hatred in somebody's heart. Well, you know I. I'm not really committing adultery. I'm just flirting with this girl at work. You know, we're just sharing texts uh, you know, when I'm bored, and she's just somebody I can talk to and 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 she's just you know she just gets me. And I'm not I'm not cheating on my wife. I'm just I have a friend. No big deal. Oh, we're just getting coffee together. Oh, the wife, she's not feeling well. I gotta get something to eat. So I'm gonna go, I'm just gonna go have dinner with this friend from work. Next thing you know. My wife doesn't please me and she's not, she hasn't loved me from the beginning and, and you don't understand and this new person, oh, she gets me and she blah, blah, blah and I'm leaving them and my wife and my kids and I'm, I'm starting a new life over here because this woman and then the process repeats itself. And you might say, that's not adultery to just share a text with a woman. I would just submit to you today, if that's some place that you're in today, show those texts to your wife and see what happens. If they're not if they're innocent and if they're just friendly banter back and forth, then there's no reason to hide them. Show them. And it goes both ways. Wives, show them to your husbands. I have a general practice in my home. My wife has full access to every electronic device that I have. There are no codes. There are no back ways to get in or out of them. She has access to my email, my text messages, my phone, my social media. And that's not because she demands them. It's because I offer them. I say, wife, here you go, Sarah, want to check this out? There have been times, and maybe you're in the same position, where you get spam, and a half-naked woman sends you a message, and it's really some guy somewhere who's sending it and just trying to get, you know, he's trying to fish your information out of you so he can steal your bank account, and I'll turn and I'll say, look, I just got this. I did not, you can see that I did not procure it, I didn't ask for it, I'm being spammed right now, and now I'm deleting it, and I report those accounts to Facebook and Instagram, and I tell them, look, this is inappropriate, and this is uh, you know, contains nudity and whatever. Because I want to be above reproach as a husband. I don't want there to be any room for Satan to come in and start accusing because that's what he does. And so if you find yourself in a place where you think, oh, it's, it's, it's innocent, it's then show them, expose them. The light will expose what they are. And so there is, so now the world would say that's okay. But the word would say, no, that's adultery. You've committed adultery in your heart. And so that must be repented of. That must be exposed. That mu- must be delivered out of you. It's not a problem externally on your phone or, or just in your mind. It's deeply rooted in your heart. You're, do- you're going down a bad path that leads to pain, that leads eventually to pain, maybe in months, maybe in years, but eventually everybody's gonna get hurt. And so John's prescription for us or his command to us through the Holy Spirit it's not that we are to hate or condemn or to go after people of the world, but we are absolutely to stand up against the ways of the world and how they operate. The world would say, love your neighbor as much as they love you. Hate your enemy is okay. Our, politi- our, our politics, our political uh, climate that we have in our country right now is built upon hate, just hating the other group. We're not them, so we're better than them. And here's all the things we hate about them, but we're not gonna share why we're so good or why you should choose us. We're just gonna share why they're so bad. And the word of God would, would contradict that and say, no, no, no. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your enemy. Go up. Everybody can love those who love you, but, but what about loving your enemy? How will your enemy know Jesus if they don't see him in you? I, I, I get giddy with the, with the possibility of refugees coming here to learn about Jesus. Refugees who, who live in a, a country where unless you're Muslim, you will face huge perse- persecution. You will be driven from your homes. You will be possibly executed. And they will come to a place like this where the light has been shining for so long, where we have the liberty to say, you know what? Here's Jesus. I want to help you. And we get caught up in what the government should do. No, no, it's not about what the government should do. They have their own agenda. What are we as the Christians supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? You know what? I'm not not going to take a family of refugees into my home. I don't even know how to do that. But there are people who are. There are people who who are equipped to do that. So maybe I have time or maybe I have money that I can donate to those efforts so those people can come and not just live off of our country, but live for our country. We live in a great country where there's great opportunity to do just that. My dad came to this country as an illegal immigrant and here I am today because of his hard work and what he did in this country, earning an honest living and and really giving his body tirelessly so that his family could be supported so that I could get, uh, so I could go to school, so I could be clothed, so that I could be fed, so my wife, my mom could be taken care of so that I could grow up one day and here I am. And so, yeah, the government has their own agenda and how they should handle that, what they should do, but, but what are we as Christians gonna do? We can't stand before the Lord on, on the day of judgment and say, well, our government said we didn't have to. We can't stand before the Lord and say, you know what, but, but they were mean to me. But, but, but Pastor Truni, what, what if they come and take advantage of us? You mean like they did to Jesus? You mean like they did to the disciples? You mean like they did to pff, thousands, if not millions of Christians ever since? Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. I guess if that were to happen, then maybe we're going down the right path. I'm not saying I want this. I'm not saying it's the ultimate good. What I'm saying is it would be consistent with church history if something like that happened. And I find in church history, there are more converts when the church is persecuted than when the church has it easy. Right now, the church in America is dead, not because because we can just come in freedom to worship, but because there really is no threat to us so there 's no urgency I'm not gonna, i 'm not going to i don 't have to go to church I can sleep in on sunday i can I can avoid making contacts with my with the people in the church because i don 't really need them i 've got friends i 've got food i don 't have any need and so here we are and that will only last so long. I believe that the Lord will come and like a bull rider spurs a bull eventually that'll happen and we 'll get that kick in our seat that we need and we'll jump up and we 'll be on fire and there'll be true revival and until then, I hope that we can, just, we can just through the Holy Spirit do with what we have now, but it, it most likely will come to that if church history is any indication. But why do we do this? Why is it even that I have to, as a, as a preacher, John, as the writer of the gospel there in First in John, why is it that this even has to be addressed? Because we as Christians settle for the ways of the world. That was the whole purpose of that in and out analogy. I would settle for inferior food when I knew there was something better. We as Christians, we settle for the ways of the world, not understanding that the ways of the world and the world itself pales in comparison to what we truly have in Christ. Now, I think that the world is an amazing place. I really do. Uh, Me and the guys here at the church, some of you, we went and we spent the night at Mount Hope uh, there was mosquitoes and it was wet and it was cold. But you know what? It was just, we saw, I, we saw one of the greatest things. It was awesome. There was this big hawk looking thing. It was at the top of a tree. It was shaking the tree and then it flew off. It had a squirrel in its talons. It was like watching the Discovery Channel. It was like, wow, that thing, oh, it's got a squirrel. It caught a squirrel in a tree. Can you imagine trying to, to you know drive down the road at like 30 miles per hour, try to pick up a sandwich off the road? Without stopping. Like, that's basically what this bird did. He went, flew in, and you know, the sandwich tried to run away, but he caught it. It was great. Nature is amazing. Have you ever watched these Planet Earth documentaries? There's this new one D- uh, Disney's putting out about China, and they're going after the snow leopard and these pandas and these monkeys. And it's just gorgeous. Some of the imagery that they get and they see. Somebody contact Disney and tell them to give me some money for promoting their movie. But it's just all of the, you just watch me, just mesmerize. Wow, look at that animal. You know, we go to the zoo. Why? Because we look at these animals and, 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 and when we go there and they're just laying there and like looking at you and you're like, oh, how disappointing. But when you see them do something, it's like, wow. It's like that that monkey just leapt from one place to another. That was amazing. You, you, you go outside and, and we're going, we were looking in our ditch the other day that's right outside of our house. There are these like yellow daffodil things growing. I'm like, wow it's just growing out of the side of this ditch. No other plants around it. It's beautiful. Everything else is ugly around it. But in this ditch is growing these beautiful flowers. You ever just look at the clouds? You're like, wow, those cl- clouds are amazing. You ever just have like a really good thunderstorm? Like, wow, this is great we have a metal roof so it shakes and stuff. It's really fun. The dog starts whining. It's always great. Uh, You just, oh, maybe you go out after a really good rain and you have that good smell outside. Oh, this is, this is great. Or you go to the beach or you go to, you go here. I mean, there's so much just in the simplicity and the complexity of nature to look at and say, wow, Lord, you are a great artist. I really believe that in the church, we need more creativity to spring forth from us because we serve a very creative God. Psalm 24 and one says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Psalm 50 and 12 says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you For uh, for the world and its fullness are mine. Psalm 89 and 11 says, The heavens are yours. The earth is also yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. Then 1 Corinthians 10, 23, Paul tells the church, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of the conscience. Because verse 26, For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Next time you eat a steak or a great salad, Or 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 you 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 bake a loaf of bread, or, or you or you just enjoy a great meal with family, or you go outside and have a picnic, or you just walk along a trail, or you go to the zoo, or you watch some television program. Remember that this is the Lord's. He has created it. And though it's tainted by sin, it's still pretty great. It's still pretty spectacular. It's still it's still there are places where you can be filled with awe. Has anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon? If you try to describe the Grand Canyon to an alien, they would probably look at you like you were crazy. It's a big crater in the earth. It's a big hole. It's not a crater, but it's just a big ditch. I think Grand Canyon literally means big ditch. I could be wrong, but you get there and you look at it and you're like, my goodness, it goes forever and it's beautiful. And you have the Arizona sky, backdrop, clouds, you know, Tex-Mex, whatever. And it's just like, wow. Me, I get this weird, like, I don't know, I get, get to the edge. Like, I don't want to get to the edge. Like, I'm not afraid of heights, but for some reason, the Grand Canyon, I'm like, oh, I don't know. That's a Grand Canyon. What'd you say? <laughs> like, vertigo, yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to go up there. But I just look and just marvel at it. Like, wow. And we've taken the kids, and I'm sure they, they were like, oh, cool. Look, a rock. And they start kicking it. Okay, like, I don't care. But they will care when they get older, and they take their kids, and they're like, wow. Or maybe, you know, one time I went to the zoo. I think I've shared this story. We went to the zoo in Syracuse. This was before the big elephant confinement. Now they, ha- they had a smaller one. And I made the elephant noise to the elephant. I was like, like that. I was just goofing off. I was like, ha, oh, look at me, guys. I'm doing it. And one of the elephants turned around and went, whoosh, with a big bunch of dirt. And he nailed me in the leg. I was like, wow, that was great. I mean, I've got elephant dirt on me. But man, how cool was that? He responded to me like I was another elephant. I was a little bigger then. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what my wife said, but I'm sure it was funny. <laughs> but it was, I thought it was cool, you know, cause he couldn't charge me. He couldn't really do anything. So he did the best thing he could. I'll just fling dirt at him. Life is pretty amazing. And the Bible reminds us that the world that's been created that we see, though it's tainted and marred by sin, it still belongs to God. He's still heavily invested in his creation. And so when it comes time to pay the the atoning sacrifice for sin, he doesn't do it from heaven. He does it from here. He comes here. He comes to us. He goes to the place of darkness as the light and brings us the light. But despite the beauty and the splendor, we can settle for it. We can say, oh, this is great. We can just be humanistic about it. We can just say we can be naturalistic about it and say, oh, it's just, you know, it's just that. I believe we're supposed to steward the world well. I think you should recycle. I don't think you should put oil in your drain. I I think you should find ways to plant trees and whatnot. I think we should be good stewards. Just like we are of our money, we should with our environment as well. But that is not the end all. If we settle, if we settle for the ways of the world, we commit a grave error and a grave sin. John says it like this. That if we have, if anyone loves the world, the ways of the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, and the pride of life, the love of the Father is not in him. If we have supreme love for the earth, and not the people, but the ways of the world, and just the world in general, then the word says that we don't have the love of the Father in us. It becomes this great test. It exposes who we truly are. I both hate and love that so much. I love that if someone were to come to me as a person, we could talk back and forth. And if I were to say, you know what? You're committing this sin, or they say that to me, we can talk ourselves out of it. Oh, it's not that big a deal. Oh, it's, I'm not gonna do it again. Oh, I can stop anytime, that sort of thing. But the word of God is very deliberate and very blunt and just says, look, If you love the ways of the world, if you're still trying to defend the way that the world operates and how they do things and how they treat people and how they live their life and how they handle their money and how they treat the less fortunate and how they treat those who are rich and and all these things, then the love of the Father's not in you. Not you're going down a bad path, not that you're close to error, the love of the Father's not in you. This love that the Father has for the world and its people, it's not in you because you, are loving the world. And there cannot be room for both. We cannot be like 60, 40, 50, 50, 70, 30. We're all in, we're all out. We are, all of our proverbial eggs are in Jesus's basket or they're not. And so, Jesus didn't just come to save us. He came to change our perspective to give us what he says is eternal life. Now, as you read the Bible, you understand that eternal life, everybody has eternal life. You will have eternal life in heaven in the presence of your loving God, or you will have eternal life in hell, in torment, gnashing of teeth, worm dieth not, that whole thing. You'll have eternal life both. What Jesus comes to give us is not just eternal life, but being born again into eternal life to be with him forever. Forever and we lose sight of this eternal life. We forget that we're not just living for today and for this moment, but we're living for a future and for a future place. Jesus tells us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, not just here, or not only here, not exclusively here. Some of you have bank accounts. That's great. There's a tragedy to strike. You'd be okay for a little while. Or you have a home, or you have, you know, vehicles that run, and you're just, you're a very blessed individual in that sense. Others, the majority of us, don't have those luxuries. That's what they are. They're luxuries. Owning a home, owning a car, these are luxuries. They're commonplace in our culture, but they really are luxuries. Jesus says, no, don't don't just do that. Set your focus on these treasures that we can set up in heaven. See, when you start focusing on the treasures of heaven, these other things don't look like treasures anymore. The fancy car, the boat, the this, the that, they don't look, they don't look like treasures anymore. They look like stuff to use for a time and then you're done. Sarah and I, when we, right before we had Ethan, when we had our first son, we went from a one bedroom apartment that was roughly 700 square feet to a 2,100 square foot townhome. It was gorgeous. It was beautiful. We love that home, and uh, and then it got foreclosed on, so we had to leave. But that time, we always it was a very special time where Ethan was born and that sort of thing. Um, It came up on the market the other day, like it's for sale now. We just looked at it, like wow, it looks exactly the same. They didn't paint it, they didn't do anything. It's just it looks just like the did the day we moved in. And what we had to learn was that that place, as great as it was, was not the end all of what God wanted for us. We were very blessed the day that that house was taken away from us. We were very blessed the day that I was laid off from work trying to buy that house because the Lord did something in my life to change me that he couldn't do any other way. And so when you begin to see the treasures of heaven as indeed treasures of heaven, you start looking at the world a little differently. You stop looking at people as as things to use. You start looking at things as usable things. I can use this car for this. This will be to take care of my family or this will be to run my business or whatever. And, sh- you know, uh, maybe it gets great gas mileage. Maybe it is, maybe it is a fancy looking car, but the Lord will give, the Lord will take away and blessed will be the name of the Lord. The end all of my blessings is not wrapped up in this earthly thing that will eventually rust. I find that in central New York, your cars eventually rust, Right? Or you have to put it away all the time, and then you don't get to enjoy it. Matthew six nineteen: Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. See, when you start storing up stuff here on uh, here on earth, what happens? You start getting afraid. Oh, somebody takes this from me. What if somebody, see, you ever go to the ATM, you have to pull money out, and you're like, oh, looking around. Nobody sees me doing this. Put it in your pocket real quick and drive away, lock all the doors. And as soon as you start to accumulate things, that mindset develops. So Jesus says, no, don't lay up for yourself tre- treasures here. I'd, I'd say that what he's inferring is that use up the things of this earth. Don't buy a car, put it in your garage for fancy days. Don't just, don't just buy stuff that's going to sit most of the time and not be used. Use it. Use your stuff. And when it's done, it's done. When it's gone, it's gone. If it breaks, it breaks. This is irreplaceable. Yeah, but it's stuff. You know, it's, it's, it's a thing. Find a way to use it that glorifies the Lord. Instead, if you're going to lay up for yourself something, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The world will say, you no, know, no, you've got to lay up for yourself treasures here. If you have a love for that, love of the Father is not in you. These are the words that John shares with us through the Holy Spirit. Mark 13 and 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The greatest treasure that we can store up for ourselves here on earth is the word of God. We do not believe the word of God is just a good book. We believe that it's, it's the very message from God to us so that we may know how to love him and be led by him and glorify him that more people might come to do the same exact thing. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This, this speaks to how, whether it's now, and we're living in one of the most materialistic cultures that the world has ever known, but it's not the only materialistic culture. It's not the only time we've ever been this way. It's not the only time humanity's ever been narcissistic or self-centered. It's not the only time where we've put the value of stuff over people. That's existed since the beginning of time. Look at, look at Cain killing Abel. He valued things and stuff in the world over the life of his brother. It's existed since the beginning of time. But Jesus is always the same. I love that about Jesus. I love that we don't have to catch some new wave of Jesus where Jesus all of a sudden shows up and he's different. You know, look over the landscape of, of rock and roll music for the last 50 years and how different it's been from time to time. You know, You go from like, yeah, 50s rockabilly, you know, and to 60s hippie to 70s disco-ish punk rock, and then 80s new wave, you know, Flock of Seagulls weirdness, and then, you know, 90s nirvana grunge, and then who knows what's happened since then. That's kind of when I checked out. It's just changing, evolving, and you're always behind, you know. There's always some new thing that comes out that catches people's eyes and sells a million records. But Jesus is not like that. Jesus is the same. Everything changes all around him, but he's just the same Jesus day in, day out, from the beginning, for all of eternity. He will be the same Jesus. He will always approve of the same thing. He will always disapprove of the same thing. He will always love you with a love that we cannot fathom. He will always hate sin with a hatred that we can't even fathom because it's so just. And so, today our eternity or our eternal life that we are banking on, the one that we are storing up treasures in, the one that we are, uh, the one that we should be settling for is this life with Christ. We can be spot on with our doctrinal beliefs. We can have great theology. But A.W. Tozer says, and I'm paraphrasing that, we can be as empty as an unloaded gun, but as straight as the barrel, Theologically but we can be just as empty. When we know all the things the Bible says, but our life is not rooted in him, we've settled. We've settled for an intellectual knowledge of the Lord without a relationship with him. Honestly, it's it's a much safer place to be, just be intellectual about it. It doesn't get messy. You can put everything in this little box. This goes there, this goes there, the solas go there, you know, this... This theology goes here, and the Great Commission goes here, and here's what that word says, the Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, Latin, Vulgate, all these different words. But I find that that lifestyle, as necessary as it is, I'm not downing it at all. I, I, I find myself most of the time being intellectual about Christ. I find that when I'm only intellectual about Christ, people around me don't grow. People around me, myself, I don't grow. I don't mature in the Lord. And so I become spot on with my doctrinal beliefs, but I become empty inside. We can't throw out the world. We have to understand that what the Lord is doing is rebuilding his kingdom or building his kingdom through this world. Heaven and earth might pass away. He might, you know, he's going to eventually change everything, but but until then, here's where we are and this is what we're doing. Do not settle for the ways of the world. Ask why something's being done. Why are we doing it this way? Why is it being said in that fashion, in that manner? You know, Facebook is spending millions, if not billions of dollars to combat fake news. I would tell you to do the same thing, that you would battle the fake news of the world and hold on to the good news of Jesus Christ. That... Though we, were, though we were sinners, Christ came and died for us that we might be forgiven. Jesus speaks about the one who was forgiven much, loves much. And we see that exemplified in a lady named Mary Magdalene. She's like crying in front of him and cleaning his feet with her hair and tears. Like I've never done that for anybody. I've never washed somebody's feet with my hair. But that's what she was doing. She was she was forgiven. She understood the gravity of her sin, not just because it involved sex or because it involved whatever, adultery or whatnot, because it was an abomination before her Lord, any sin that she had committed. And being forgiven of that liberated her. It says that Mary, the Bible talks about how she was delivered from like seven spirits or something, seven demons. And she understood where she was and where she now was And it fueled that love for her Savior. And when you look upon your sin and you don't think it's that big a deal, then Jesus doesn't look like that big of a deal to you anymore. That was nice of Jesus to do that. It was nice that we get to celebrate on Easter and eat ham and, you know, remember what he did. But my sin's not that big a deal, so it's, you know, that's nice. It's nice. No, when when you look at your sin, the lying, the stealing, the whatever, everything... When you stop trying to sugarcoat it or make it, you know, spin it to be something good, you realize, oh man, he is so holy and I am so not holy. And it fuels it. For some it will fuel condemnation, but the Bible seeks to alleviate that by saying there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But instead, that that place fuels love. Oh man, but even though that's who I was, that's not who I am anymore. Jesus loves me with such a great love. He would rather die for me than me die for my sins insufficiently. So today, the earth is good. It belongs to the Lord, but the ways of this world most often contradict the ways of God. And we are to seek to adopt the ways of God rather than having a love for the world and its systems. And sacrifice those on the altar of the Lord while sacrificing ourselves and our desires and our will. That we might live in such a way that we glorify Jesus with all of our actions and when we don't, we repent. Today, we're all in that boat. We need to repent. It's the answer for everything. I mean, Jesus is the answer for everything, but it usually involves repentance as well. The other day, I asked my daughter something. She wasn't really paying attention. She just turned to me and said, Jesus, I was like, Generally, that's the answer for everything, but I think I asked you what time it was. I don't think I asked you, <laughs> which I guess Jesus is still a good answer. Um, as good as this world can be, it's not our focus. And when you begin to see Jesus, or excuse me, see the world through Jesus, you begin to see him as, the uh, see uh, through him as he sees the world, you begin to understand, okay, okay, so, so it's not that stuff is bad, it's that stuff cannot be my God. Think about that thing you have in your house right now that if it got taken away you'd be devastated. That thing is sitting too close, if not in the wrong place of your heart. Even if it was an heirloom, even if it was, a, even if it was handed down through family from generation to generation, Jesus told his disciples, one that wanted to go bury his father, let the dead bury their dead. I'm not telling you to give away that thing. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just saying how deeply rooted is it in your heart? If your car, your bike, your family, your kids. Should you be devastated in a sense? Well, yeah. But so much that you can't function? I read a story about a man named Pat Oswalt. Anybody, anybody familiar with Pat Oswalt? He was the voice of Remy in Ratatouille. Funny comedian. Uh, self-proclaimed atheist, though. Lost his wife a year ago yesterday. She died. And he wrote... Big, long dissertation about, you know, whatever. It was a healing thing from cathartic thing, whatever. But it ended with, it's horrible, but it's not fatal. It is the worst thing that she passed away, and I'm no longer with her, but it's not fatal. I thought to myself, this man is an atheist, does not have Christ in him. And that was his mindset, losing his wife. How much more the Christian who has the promise, promise of Jesus never leaving them nor forsaking them, should still have the ability to rejoice in the darkest of moments. We don't ask for these things. We don't wish these things upon ourselves, but they happen, don't they? As much as we seek to avoid them, we still find ourselves in these positions. And it's still not fatal. And it's still God-glorifying. And so today, Do not adopt the ways of the world. Do not have a love for what the world does and how they do things. Instead, find how the Lord responds to that. How does he respond to people being taken advantage of? Like in the temple, he gets angry. Anger is an appropriate response for that. How does he react when a sinner comes to him? Well, he shares with them the good news of himself. How does he respond when he's invited to a prostitute's house or a tax collector's house or a sinner's house? He goes and he has a meal with them. He tells them about himself. How does he deal with those who think they're more religious than him, more spiritual than him? Well, he goes to them, shares himself. Our job, go out into the world, share Jesus, repent when we don't, Allow the Lord to work in us, not adopt the ways of the world, but influence the world by the Christ in us. The good news is what this really looks like is you just living your life. You're not looking at, you know, hey, here's Johnny, what's his name? Hey, Johnny, what's his name? I'm gonna be all Christian in front of you so you might know Jesus. No, you're just gonna love Johnny. You're gonna serve Johnny. You're gonna seek for his best. When he's mourning, you're gonna mourn with him. When he's celebrating, you're going to celebrate with him. When he tries to tell you sin's okay, you're going to call him out on it. You'll say, no, Johnny, let me me show you what the word says. Let me show you what I believe that, that, you know, how we're supposed to respond to that situation. When he hates you, you're going to still love Johnny. When he betrays you, like Peter denying Jesus or the other disciples running away in the middle of the night, you're still going to love him. You're going to hate what he did, but you're still going to love him. You're gonna hope for his best. You're gonna hope that he gives his life to Christ. You're gonna hope for reconciliation. And that Jesus would be glorified. So your response today, where has the world come in and infiltrated your heart? Where, where have the ways of the world, where have you adopted their, their methodology or their ideologies and find the ones that contradict the word of God? So let's say, well, I love, I love my neighbor. That's a good one. Don't throw that away completely. Just complete the sentence as I love myself. Because the world will say love your neighbor until they betray you. Love your neighbor until they wrong you. Love your neighbor uh, at a distance. Love your neighbor uh, but don't trust them. Don't be vulnerable. Well, we're called to vulnerability. There's no way to escape that. Will they take advantage of you? Probably. Go in with that mentality. They They might betray me. Okay. I won't be surprised when it happens. If they don't, yeah, I'll be surprised when it doesn't. That's awesome. When they get to know Jesus, that will be a good surprise. Celebrate that. And then maybe they'll say, oh, I'm sorry I did this or I'm sorry I did that. And if they don't, it's okay. We just want them to know Christ. So let's pray tonight. Or this morning. How long have I been preaching? Is it tonight yet? This all comes back to trusting the Lord. Gosh, if, if you just go, if you find whatever the problem is, you come back, it generally leads to to not trusting the Lord what he has said, what he has promised to do. John, First John chapter 2, verse 17 says, and the world all of its ideologies and all of its desires of the flesh and the eyes and the pride of life is passing away with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. I like that word, abides. It means you live with, you dwell with, you know, you might, you might pass people in the street, but you abide with your family, right? Kids, wife, husband, family. You dwell with them. You see them. You don't just see them in passing. You're in the same room with them. You know, your your wife's in the kitchen and you're in the garage, or you know, you're in the kitchen and she's in the garage, or you know, whatever. But you're together. For those who replace the ideologies and do not settle for them of the world and then adopt what the word of God has said. For them, they will abide with the Lord forever. There'll be no day where he leaves you. You'll try to run and he'll just follow you. He'll just be wherever you go. And you'll think, ah, I got away. And you'll be like, oh, here I am. Give your life to Jesus today. Let's stand and pray. understand how much uh, let me rephrase that set your eyes upon the lord and when the things of the world come to take that away focus more when when you don't want to pray pray more you don't want to read read more just in defiance just in spiritual stubbornness no i will not settle when the world calls you to compromise let the chips fall where they fall. No, I won't, I won't, I won't do that. I won't act in that way. I won't do this thing. If you have today, know that you, through repentance, find forgiveness in the Lord. We're all guilty of it. Don't, there's no, there's no grouping here where you're here and you don't need repentance and you do and you need, you know, we're all in the same boat. So let's pray together today. Jesus, we Gosh, you are so good. You know what, Lord, it's it's just that even trying to articulate all of this, Lord, is just really difficult. You are the ultimate good. You're not just good, you're the ultimate good. There is no other good than you. And Father, there are ways that you have prescribed for us that indeed, when practiced, they are difficult. It's easy when the sun is shining, it's hard when the rain is falling. It's easy to love those who love us. It's hard to love those who are unlovable or who we hate. When we see the deceitful prospering and, and, and those of us who are trying to live for you are not, it makes it hard, Lord. But your commands do not change or fluctuate because of our circumstances. You have called us to a life. And you have called us to that regardless of what we go through. And so often we compromise and settle for so little, Lord, and we repent of that today. Now I, I pray, Lord, that you would begin to replace and implant, Lord, your good, your ways. We sang earlier, Lord, you're perfect in all of your ways. We sing that, I pray we sing that with conviction, Lord, because your ways, there are none that we want to change. There are none that we seek to, uh, 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 um, to spin or to make it more palatable, Lord. We want to keep them as they are and be changed by them for them. Lord, for those of us who need repentance, we repent to you today. We're thankful that you are a forgiving God who has forgiven of us much. That you love us today, you love us tomorrow because you are the same every day. We change, we're different, but you are not. I pray today, Lord, that you would show us, open our eyes, help us to see, Lord, where we have compromised or settled so that we might change whether it's through a relationship, whether it's through work or whether it's through our words, whether it's through uh, how we treat others or how we treat you, Lord, may we see that compromise and sacrifice it, forsake it, give it to you so that you might change us and replace what we've built up with what you've built. And in all these things, I pray the last thing would be we'd become more legalistic or more religious, but that we would become more acquainted with you, that our relationship would grow with you, and that we'd be different. That you would be glorified. That people would see you through our actions and through our words and seek and hunger for the gospel we have for them. May you receive all of the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.